The following message is from Westway Christian Church in Scottsbluff, Nebraska. If you'd like to know more about us, go to westwaychurch.com. Thank you for listening. If you have your Bible with you, to open it to 1 Kings chapter 3. Um, we're going to read that chapter here in a little bit. If you have any questions about our message, um, which I hope you do, I hope you are filled with the anxiety level that I am right now of talking about politics. Um, if you have questions, I would love for you to text for you to text them to um, 308-252-3273. We talk about that on Tuesday mornings at 11:15 on our Tuesday Q and A. I was having dinner with a friend the other night, and he was asking me about this series, and I said, "Well, it's probably going to be different." than what people expect it is. So he uh, is a good question asker, and he said, so tell me more about that. So we talked a little bit about expectations and shared with him what this series was really going to be talking about, and, and I wanna help you right now think about your expectations for, uh, for this series that we are going into for the next six weeks which takes us through the national election, actually to the Sunday after the national election. And I'm actually going to do it by talking to you about the play Hamilton. Because it seems like we cannot talk about politics in 2020 without Hamilton coming into the conversation at some point. Uh, Hamilton has so pervaded our culture that former uh, Trump um, cabinet member John Bolton actually wrote a book, his tell-all book, and he called it The Room Where It Happened. So if you are a Hamilton fan, you're welcome for that earworm that I just gave you all day long for you to be thinking about. Well, Hamilton came on Disney Plus about three months ago. It's a play about Alexander Hamilton, if you don't know. It came on Disney Plus about three months ago, and it's actually been out since 2015. So it had a lot of buzz, and Anne and I had not, we ha obviously we hadn't seen it. Um, I had only listened to the soundtrack uh, for about the first song and a half, and for whatever reason, I just decided I couldn't take it. So we went into, we went into this play, Hamilton, watching it on Disney+, Plus with, with a completely, like we had expectations, and I honestly, if you, if you asked me, I couldn't tell you what those expectations were. But we watched the first half the first night, and then we went to bed because we go to bed early at Team Mulholland. And then we got up and we, and we watched it the next night. We finished it out. And there was part of me that like, I, was, I was wondering, like, what was the big deal about this whole thing? It just didn't meet my expectations. Well, Several weeks ago, when I drove our van, a church van, over to Cedar Rapids, Iowa, um, 11 hours uh, one way, driving all of those supplies that we took to uh, Cedar Rapids Christian Church last month, I decided that what I'm going to do is I'm going to listen to the Hamilton soundtrack. Well, it's first off, it's about three hours long, so you should know that. So I listened to it three times between here and Cedar Rapids, Iowa. And then like it started to like bake into my brain what I was hearing. And then on the way home, I split the drive up in two different shifts. And guess what I listened to the entire way home? The Hamilton soundtrack. Guess what is in my car almost every single time Ann gets in it to ride with me? 
the Hamilton soundtrack. Like, I can't get this thing out of my mind. So then what I started to do was I started to re-watch the play. Because I had a different expectation set. And it made, it made so much more sense to me after I dug in and I listened to the music. Because I think this is a play where as, as interesting as the visuals are, and they are, they are stunning. The choreography is amazing. The thing that really makes Hamilton what it is, is the music, is the storytelling through the music. And I went into it, I think if I were to put my finger on what my expectation was, I was expecting to see a story through visual, when in fact the story was through the lyrical content. And when I talked to people afterwards, they would say, well, man, I've been listening to that for five years now. So when I saw it, it made perfect sense. So, so all of that to say, like, what are your expectations for this series? I think it's going to challenge them. Over the next six weeks, I'm not going to tell you who to vote for. So if you came in here today thinking that John's going to tell me who to vote for, he's going he's to soothe my conscience, it's not going to happen. When you walk out of here today, and actually when you walk out of here for the next six weeks, you're not going to find a voter's guide. You're not going to see something where there's a checklist on both sides, right? And when I worked in sales, we called it the Benjamin Franklin clothes. That's where you would tick all the little boxes. And whichever side had the most boxes, that's who I'm going to, that's who I would vote for. There's not going to be a voter's guide in the lobby. See, today what we're going to talk about is how we can, we can develop wisdom to make good, God-honoring, wise choices. Not just, not just when it comes to politics, but when it comes to our entire lives. We want to make wise choices. We want to make clear conscience decisions with our lives. Because the reality of it is, most of the, of the political questions that our political leaders face and that we face as citizens are, are what I would call biblically unscripted. See, the Bible, the Bible doesn't tell us often what we ought to do when it comes to most of life, in fact. What it does is it's bent on helping us develop wisdom to make those choices. And, and one of the things I was thinking about with this was Leviticus 13 talks a lot about infectious skin diseases. Fascinating conversation on Sunday morning. Someday we're going to talk about, we're going to go through the book of Leviticus. I promise you it's on my list. See, Leviticus 13 talks about infectious skin diseases, but it doesn't say anything about masks. It doesn't say anything about physical distancing. It doesn't say anything about how we orient our auditorium and where people ought to sit. What we need for that is we need wisdom. We need to take what the Bible tells us and we need to put these things into practice. See, a lot of things in our lives do not require, thus they do not have a thus saith the Lord. We don't go to the Bible for that. They require wisdom. So our role then, our role is to seek out wisdom. Our role for our leaders is for them to be wise so that we can make these right decisions. 
We need wisdom to know how to deal with issues in our lives, personally and politically. That requires wisdom for us. We need wisdom to know how to think about politics in this time. So this is gonna be, again, like I don't know what you thought you were gonna get when you came in today. My guess is that probably wasn't it. And I'm completely okay with that. We're gonna talk about three things today and they're all from First Kings. Here's the first thing. Wisdom comes from God. Wisdom comes from God. The second thing is wisdom develops over time. And the third thing is that wisdom needs to be practiced. So let's read from 1 Kings chapter 3, uh, verses 1 through 15. Follow along with me. Solomon made an alliance with Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, and married one of his daughters, He brought her to live in the city of David until he could finish building his palace and the temple of the Lord and the wall around the city. At that time, the people of Israel sacrificed their offerings at local places of worship for a temple honoring the name of the Lord had not yet been built. Solomon loved the Lord and followed all the decrees of his father, David, except that Solomon, too, offered sacrifices and burned incense at the local places of worship. The most important of these places was at Gibeon. So the king went there and sacrificed 1,000 burnt offerings. That night, the Lord appeared to Solomon in a dream, and God said, what do you want? Ask, and I will give it to you. Solomon replied, you showed great and faithful love to your servant, my father, David, because he was honest and true and faithful to you. And you have continued to show this great and faithful love to him today by giving him a son to sit on his throne. Now, O Lord, my God, you've made me a king instead of my father, David. But I'm like a little child who doesn't know his way around. And here I am in the midst of your own chosen people, a nation so great and numerous that they cannot be counted. Give me an understanding heart so that I can govern your people well and know the difference between right and wrong. For who by himself is able to govern this great people of yours? The Lord was pleased that Solomon had asked for wisdom. So God replied, because you have asked for wisdom in governing my people with justice and have not asked for a long life or wealth or the death of your enemies, I will give you what you asked for. I will give you a wise and understanding heart such as no one has ever had or ever will have. And I will also give you what you did not ask for riches, and fame. No other king in all the world will be compared to you for the rest of your life. And if you follow me and obey my decrees and my commands as your father David did, I will give you a long life. Then Solomon woke up and realized it had been a dream. He returned to Jerusalem and stood before the ark of the Lord's covenant where he sacrificed burnt offerings and peace offerings. Then he invited all his officials to a great banquet. So here's the first reality that I want you to see today from this text, because this is where we derive all of our information from. This is where we derive our wisdom from. I want you to see that wisdom requires praising and acknowledging God. If you want wisdom, if you want wisdom, you have to go to God for that. And wisdom from God requires Humility. I love the phrase he says, but I am like a child who doesn't know his way around. 
me ask you a question. Could there be any more of an opposing ethic to the ethic of 2020 than that right there? We would never say, I am like a child. We would never say, I have no idea what I'm doing. We would know exactly what we were supposed to do in any situation. Because if we don't, we're nothing but weak and hollow and empty. And what Solomon says is, I'm a kid who, I, like, I don't even know anything. I don't even know. I'm a child. He says, I want to govern the people well and know the difference between right and wrong. So I'm going to try really hard to keep the snarcasm to a dull roar over the next six weeks in our political series. So when I do it, bear with me. If you watched the debate the other night, did you hear anyone say, I know it was hard to hear what people were saying. Did you hear anyone say anything like, I want to govern the people well and know the difference between right and wrong? The answer is no. See, this requires humility. Wisdom requires humility. How about as a parent? or a grandparent, or a teacher, or a student. I think I got everybody. Have you ever acknowledged what you don't know? Have you ever gone to God and said, as a parent, God, I'm a child. I mean, I know how old I am, but I'm a child. I have no idea how to parent my kids. That would be a good starting point for you. If you're wondering as a grandparent, how do, I, how do I grandparent my children? How do I parent my adult children who don't want to have anything to do with me, who don't want to have anything to do with the faith, who don't want to pass along the faith to my grandchildren? Have you ever just, in humility, gone to God and just said, you know what, I just, I don't know what to do. See, we've been so wired by our culture to have everything figured out. To, to demand that we have everything figured out. So wisdom requires humility. If we, if we want that from God, we have to go to God and we have to ask for it. We have to admit that we don't know anything. Which is why many times, and maybe this was frustrating for you, from March 22nd to like mid-June, we would frequently say things like, um, we just don't know what we're doing. Right? Remember that when we were all at home and we wanted to come back and, and we were all wondering, like, when is the church going to do something so we can regather again? See, that's why we just said, we just don't know what we're doing. We could have acted with the bluster of 21st century man and act like we had it all figured out. But we learned very early on, we had no clue what we were doing. We just admitted that and we lived in that space. And I believe that God has responded in some really interesting ways as I think about the way our church has regathered. As I hear from, from my friends and my peers in 
the valley. And I've shared this with you before, but as I hear from my friends and my peers in the valley about the kind of things that other churches are dealing with and people from those churches going to pastors and leaders within the church and why aren't you doing this and why aren't you doing this and why aren't you doing this? It is with 100% authenticity that I can say we just haven't faced that. We just haven't. Thank you. Seriously, thank you. Thank you for not filling my inbox with all of your great ideas about what we should do. Because there are like 170 of you in here. So how could we possibly know what, what the right thing to do for us is? Thank you. Thank you for allowing us to lead in wisdom. And that starts with acknowledging that we just don't have a clue. And your pastors and elders, I want you to know, like, we're comfortable saying that. That we don't know what to do. So here's, here's the next thing we're going to talk about. That wisdom develops over time. The next section of our Bibles begins with verse 16. And it begins with three little words. Three little words. Let's read them. It just says, sometime later. See, just because it's the next thing in the text doesn't mean it's the next thing that happens. One of the things that I want to encourage you to dig into as you do your Bible reading outside of this place is I want you to dig into transitions. Pay attention to things. And this, this happens a lot in the New Testament. It'll say things like years later or Sometime later, or it'll say things like this. Like these are cues for us telling us that, that not everything happens in a linear, orderly way in the Bible. That's how we think. If we, were re- if we were reading this and we didn't pay attention to that sometime later, like we would just think that's the next thing that happens. That's how all of our movies operate, right? Like you have one thing and one thing and one thing and one thing. It's very linear. It's very orderly. Sometime later. We tend to think that Solomon got wisdom instantaneously. Several years ago, we read the book of Ecclesiastes. I want to share just one verse from Ecclesiastes. It says, I, the teacher, was the king of Israel, and I lived in Jerusalem. I devoted myself to search for understanding and to explore by wisdom everything being done under the sun. See, wisdom was not downloaded into Solomon's brain like the matrix. God didn't just have a lightning bolt come down on Solomon and he just knew everything. He developed it over time. It was, it was the product of years of situations and circumstances. So one of the things I want you to start kind of thinking about in this is you, you think about what you're supposed to do with all of this is don't expect to just know everything. Wouldn't that be wonderful? I think that's what the serpent tested, tempted Eve with in the garden. Isn't it? You can know everything. You can know the difference between good and evil if you just eat this apple. And then she did, and what did she learn? We have to stop thinking about wisdom as something that we just get. But it's something that's learned and it's something that's worked at and it's something that's efforted. I think Solomon developed wisdom in the same way that he developed 
his wealth, and his fame. According to 1 Kings chapter 4, it says the district governors faithfully provided food to Solomon and his courts. If you read through 1 Kings chapter 4, what you'll see is that the people were heavily taxed. Their sons were drafted into the army. Their daughters were drafted to be cooks, the best of their fields and olive groves and grapevines. They were all given to Solomon. Accumulated over time. Solomon did not just wake up this, this from his dream and walk to the, the royal vault and open it and there was just a pile of gold in there. And I have a question. Isn't that what we think happens sometimes? As we think about wisdom and we think about financial success, as we think about all of those things, don't we get caught trapped? We get trapped in this 20th century mindset, 21st century mindset that it's just gonna happen one day. Why don't I have any wealth? Why didn't I, why didn't I, like one day, I look at what my bank account says and the next day I look at what my bank account says and how come there's not just another six figures added in there magically overnight? I mean, I've been budgeting for like 24 hours now. I didn't buy that one thing that I really wanted, right? See, this is how these things work. Did God give Solomon a special gift? Absolutely, unequivocally. And it was developed over time. And it was often through failure. Read Ecclesiastes. That's so why we went through Ecclesiastes a few years ago. So we could see that a life of wisdom, that a life of success is built on failure. He pursued meaning and wealth through women and wine and, and all of these things and affirmation and acclaim. And do you remember what Solomon's discovery was? You remember the word? It's actually what we called the series. Do you remember it? Meaningless. meaningless, all of that effort. Even political power let Solomon down, which is really important in our time right now. But even wisdom itself, listen to what Solomon says about wisdom. It's better than foolishness, just as light is better than dark, but both the wise and the fool share the same fate. So even the wise and the foolish both die. So what do we do with all of this? We have to remember that wisdom comes from God. We have to humble ourselves to ask it. We have to ask him. We have to admit that we don't know anything. And hasn't that been a lesson from 2021? That we don't know anything. We don't know how our time is going to go. And while wisdom is developed over time, we have to ask the question, how? How then do we develop this wisdom? There's a phrase that I heard way back in my Best Buy days. And it's this. The definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. Anne hates that phrase. 
I'm not even going to look at her because I know she's rolling her eyes. Like she just hates that phrase. I remember one time, this was, this was like 10 years ago. I posted that phrase because um, I used to really be passive aggressive in my Facebook posts. I'm working on that. I posted that phrase on Facebook. And one of my students from our student ministry back in Cedar Rapids posted a response. He said, well, that sounds like practice. I was like, what? (laughs) Who do you think you are, Derek Lochner, telling me? Like, it was amazing, this, this revelation that I had. See, if we want to if we want to develop wisdom, we ask God for it humbly. We develop it over time. We have to practice it. We have to live as wise people. If you want to know what that looked like for Solomon, I would encourage you to, to reread Ecclesiastes. I would encourage you to reread the book of Proverbs. I would encourage you to read the book Song of Songs. Probably not with your kids around. There's a few psalms I would encourage you to read that are psalms of Solomon. There are 10 chapters between between 1st and 2nd Chronicles and or between 1st Chronicle or 1st Chronicles and 2nd Kings. There are 10 chapters that talk about Solomon and how he developed this wisdom. So let's finish out this chapter. <clears throat> Sometime later, two prostitutes came to the king to have an argument settled. Please, my lord, one of them began, this woman and I live in the same house. I gave birth to a baby while she was with me in the house. Three days later, this woman also had a baby. We were there alone. There were only two of us in the house. But her baby died during the night when she rolled over on it. Then she got up in the night and took my son from beside me while I was asleep. She laid her dead child in my arms and took mine to sleep beside her. And in the morning when I tried to nurse my son, he was dead. But when I looked more closely in the morning light, I saw that it wasn't my son at all. Then the other person interrupted. I wish we could like show this like it was a debate. Like, wouldn't that be fun? Then the other woman interrupted. It certainly was your son. The living child is mine. No, the first woman said, the living child is mine and the dead one is yours. And so they argued back and forth before the king. I wonder if anyone went to King Solomon later and told him that he was a bad moderator. Then the king said, let's get the facts straight. Both of you claim the living child is yours. And each says that the dead one belongs to the other. All right, bring me a sword. So a sword was brought to the king. Then he said, cut the living child in two and give half to one woman and half to the other. Then the woman who was the real mother of the living child and who loved him very much cried out. Oh no, my Lord, give her the child. Please do not kill him. But the other woman said, all right, he will be neither yours nor mine. Divide him between us. The king said, then the king said, do not kill the child, but give him to the woman who wants him to live, for she 
is his mother. When all Israel heard the king's decision, the people were in awe of the king, for they saw the wisdom God had given him for rendering justice. There's a lot of things we can talk about here. A lot of things we could talk about. Was what Solomon did right? Was it wrong? Was he really going to cut the baby in half? Like, what's going on here? But here's what I want you to see. And I think this is what, this is what God wants for us to see. Because of years and years and years of accumulated wisdom by God. That Solomon had practiced over time. His wisdom just revealed who the real mother was and which one was fake. With a simple response, with a simple decision, reality was demonstrated. That final verse sums up just about every single thing the Bible has to say about politics. So I want to reread it to you. When all Israel heard the king's decision, the people were in awe of the king, for they saw the wisdom God had given him for rendering justice. Wouldn't it have been wonderful after the debate to be able to say this? To turn to your, to your roommate or your spouse or whoever you were watching it with or to send a text. Wouldn't it have been wonderful to say, I'm so in awe of our political process. For they saw the wisdom that God had given them for rendering justice. Wouldn't that have just been fantastic for us? See, wisdom from God is required to do justice. So if we are all wondering, and we all should be, if we are all wondering right now what to do with all of this injustice that we are surrounded by as a nation. The answer is wisdom from God. That is the solution. See, every single person in authority needs the wisdom of God in order to be able to do justice. It's not just presidents or vice presidents or governors pastors and parents and teachers and police officers and mayors and supervisors at work and all of those things. See, each one of us, if we want to do justice, because that's our goal, is to do justice. Is to... And this is so opposite of our day because what we do is we get up in parties, we get caught up in parties and platforms, right? That's our, that's our role. We identify ourselves as Republicans or Democrats or independents. The question that we have to ask ourselves is this, but are we just? Do those things make me more just? Because that's the measurement. We use phrases like make America great again, or my personal favorite, I think I invented this one, ride in with Biden. Like we use those two phrases we post those, we share them, we tell everyone about them. And the question that we have to ask is, but are we just? Are we just? 
And we're going to talk way more about this over the next five weeks. Are we just? Not whether our government is just or whether the other party is just, but are we just? We wave banners and flags and we want to stack the courts. But are we just? Author Jonathan Lehman says this. The Bible cares more about whether a government pursues justice by the wisdom of God than it cares about what form of government a nation possesses. Better a king who seeks justice with God's wisdom than democracy that despises him and pursues folly and injustice. See, God has... God has organized the universe to function in a very specific way. The entire universe, God God spoke that and he set that into motion and he designed it to function in a certain way. And what we do is we ask, well, why would God design the universe this way? Why did he do it that way? Why, why Why would he set it up in this manner? It's not how I would have done it. I'm sure none of us have ever said that, but I guarantee you we've thought it. Well, if I were God, I would dot, dot, dot. Right? See, God has set up the universe in a very specific way. And when we feel that tension, when we feel that anxiety building between what God has done and what we would do, you lack wisdom. That's why we feel that tension. When we begin to ask that question, that's not how I would do it. That's because I don't know what God knows. Of those two people, God doing it wrong and me not, and me wanting to do it right, like one of us is wrong in that. And it is not God did that wrong. I love James 1, 5. It says, if you need wisdom, ask our generous God and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. I wish James, see, here you go. I know more than God. I would have written something different. I would have written when you need wisdom, not if, because that leaves a lot of interpretation. Because again, as good 21st century people, we know everything. My phone is down there. So right now I'm missing out on things, I'm sure. Right? But we know everything in what that text is telling us to do. When we lack wisdom, we want to go to God. And that's not the way we generally do things. When we need wisdom, we, we go to Facebook. When we want to know who we should vote for, we open up a political action guide to tell me who to vote for. See, what God wants to do is God wants to give us wisdom. And I think that one of the reasons that we don't ask, and maybe this is just me, one of the reasons that I don't ask God for wisdom is I just don't want to do what he says. Because he's probably going to tell me to do something differently than what I'm currently doing. And I would rather just follow my own path. But that's not the way it works. As I said God's created the universe to function in a very specific way. 
And I love this quote. It's from a book called The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And he says, when you go against God's universe, when you go against the grain of God's universe, you're going to get splinters. And when I go against what God wants for me and living out my own wisdom and not seeking his, I get splinters. It's time for us to stop placing our hope and our trust in political systems and structures. Because they're only going to let us down. Here's something you need to know. On November 3rd, the world is not going to end. Whoever is elected on November 3rd, I need you to know confidently the world is not going to end. It's just not. And I need you to also know that it's not going to get better. Whoever you think you need to elect to make the world better, and I know this sounds really cynical, but see, this is, this is wisdom. This is the gospel. Because people in office don't make the world better. Only Jesus does that. Only Jesus is the fix. And if we are not careful, we will get so wrapped up in political systems and structures and cast all our hope in it. And then whenever we wake up on November 4th, okay, here's another expectation. I don't think we're going to know on November 4th. At whatever point after November 3rd, we know who our next president is going to be. Don't put your hope and trust in that. Don't find your rest in that. Because all of us are going to see all sorts of things on social media going into the election about how God's in charge. No matter what happens, God's in charge. We're going to see that so many times. Remember that scene from, from Airplane? When the doctor kept walking into the cockpit and he kept saying over and over and over the exact same thing? I just want to let you know we're all counting on you. Okay? When 150 million people all post online Facebook, we just want you to know God's in charge. Yeah, we know. What would it be like for us to live in that truth? What would it be like for us to live in that hope? Three things. Wisdom comes from God. And he's not gonna download it into your brain. So we have to ask him for it and develop it over time. And then we have to put it into practice. Let's pray. God, we are thankful for your son, Jesus. We are thankful for your word that tells us how to live faithful lives of humble obedience to you. I'm thankful that you continually reveal to me that I just don't know anything. And for those of us, for those of us in the room who, who are not at that place, for those of us in the room, and I, I've been there and I'll probably be there tomorrow, in fact, as I push against and as I go against the grain of the universe, God, fill my hand with splinters so that I can 
humbly submit so that we can humbly submit and find the wisdom that you provide. It's in your son's name that we pray.